Take your Bibles tonight and turn to Proverbs chapter 19. Proverbs 19. Some have asked who's preaching in our place in Chicago. No, we didn't cancel church. Uh, Todd Wright's preaching. We actually were on the cell phone as he was coming our way and as I was coming here. And we uh, passed each other on the toll bridge. So I thought maybe I'd reach out and we'd do a, you know, a tag team. But didn't want to lose my arms, so we didn't do that. Proverbs chapter 19. We had a, a good day in services today. Had 74 in attendance, which is a good day for us, especially this time of the year. Uh, especially when you consider this Sunday last year, we had 31 in attendance. And uh, this Sunday, you know, I, I, I started looking at all of this stuff just to know what's going on, what we're doing. But this Sunday last year, we had five on the van. And today we had 31 on two vans. And uh, a good, good, good Sunday morning crowd, a good day, and had four first-time adults, visitors. That was exciting to see. And uh, been having a, between 14 and 17 every week in our new members class, and that's been fun. Uh, I started finding out that I was spending half an hour, 45 minutes at all of these houses during the week trying to disciple new Christians, and uh, decided to just compile them and have a new members class right after our morning service and it's worked really really good it's really opened up a lot of time for me and i think that they like it as well god's really been good we uh had our our van activity yesterday here on the grounds right here had 21 kids come out and uh got to go swimming in the pool and play some sports and just have a good time at the gazebo grilling out and that was that was a lot of fun and uh, I just appreciate being able to come here. This is like coming home. Uh, it, it's special. And uh, just a, a really a, a, just a treat to be able to come and preach tonight. And so I'm excited about it. And uh, we're going to preach a sermon tonight entitled The Truth About Lying. The Truth About Lying. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 5. The Bible says, a false witness shall not be unpunished, and he that speaketh lies shall not escape. Sometimes we treat God as though he's the liar, and, and like this verse isn't true, like we're going to somehow get away with it. God means what he says. He really means what he says when he repeats himself. Look at verse number 9. A false witness shall not be unpunished. And he that speaketh lies shall perish. Those two verses are God's contract to the liar, his solemn pledge to the pretender. And so I want to do my part tonight to blow the whistle on a sin that I think is the savored sin in fundamentalism. It's really sad to me as I uh, hear about preachers, people that you, that you, you, you think you could trust, People that preach the book, and you're, oh, oh, he's a liar. What's wrong? I'm preaching on sin tonight. If it seems like we fundamentalists always preach on sin, it's because nobody else is. And it needs to be preached on. There's a lot of lying going on in independent Baptist churches. Just a lot of lying. It's disturbing to me. So I believe God wants me to preach this message. The truth about lying. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask that you'd use the message. Lord, I pray uh, that we wouldn't let falsehood 
rob us of having a meaningful relationship with you. Lord, remind us afresh and anew the brevity of life. And Lord, help us to want to walk with you in honesty and in truth. Lord, we claim to be people of the book. Lord, make us people of truth. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. God loves genuineness. He's a God of precision and fidelity. Being true and honest and just right with people has gone out of style like the old Afro. In 2011, we've replaced straightforwardness with excuses and cover-up. Today, you can be a good, independent, fundamental Baptist. You can be considered a great Christian in our independent Baptist circles if you wear the right clothes, if you uh, don't smoke, if you don't drink, if you don't use modern versions of the Bible. But you can be a liar and be considered a good Christian. It's our sophisticated sin. But as I look at people especially leadership in fundamentalism, and if it's going on in leadership, you know it's prevalent in the pew. What I see is that sin is the sin that's making people that I respected look like bozo to clown. Lying. There's too much Bible against this sin for it to be considered a harmless transgression. It's the credit card of fundamentalism. You play with it, you play with it, it bites you and with interest. In this text, God talks to us about a bona fide phony, a false witness. That word false is used some 113 times in the Old Testament. I think God wants us to understand that some things are false and some things are true. The Hebrew word in this verse tells us about the character of the person. Not necessarily what's coming out of their mouth. Understand this. But their character. They are a deceptive speaker. They have a way of life contrary to the Bible, and it comes out of their mouth. It's their way of life. So it's not just that the false witness tells lies. They are a lie. They are a lie. It goes deeper than the audible words. Psalm 119.29 says, Remove from me the way of lying. Remember the elected official that yelled out to the president, You lie! Now you are a liar. You lie! Just like it's true you are what you eat, you are what you say. If you're uttering falsehood, that's what you are. It's ripping people apart, friend. There's a Scottish saying that says, take care of your pennies and your dollars will take care of themselves. Well, take care of these little things that you you consider little, these little falsehoods, and the big sins will never destroy you. It's the little foxes that spoil the vines, the Bible says. Now, God promises punishment to those that lie. If you look at verse 5 again, it says, a false witness shall not be unpunished, and he that speaketh lies shall not escape. I tell my daughter, you're going to get a spanking. She gets and needs lots of them. So you're going to get a spanking. You know, there's been times I'm ashamed to say that I've forgotten to spank her. And uh, if I make a habit out of that, I'm going to teach her to disobey. But God says in Amos 8, 7, The Lord has sworn by the excellency of Jacob, Surely I will never forget any of their works. 
before you lie, before that little untruth, understand that you're putting the honor of the Almighty to the test. And be not deceived. God is not mocked. First of all, I want you to see that lying is of satanic origin. Turn to Genesis chapter 2. Here we see Eve in the Garden of Eden being lied to by the devil. Genesis chapter 2, verse 17. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Look at chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. Real early on, Satan employed the use of lying. So I'm going to treat it like it's satanic tonight. Because I believe that it is. John 8.44 teaches us that he's the father of lies. We say it's our way out. I say it's the way of the devil. And the same devil that convinces these Chesterton teenagers to, to put on these gothic black capes and drink blood in the dark is the same devil that wants us to be liars. Satan used a lie to get her. Look at verse 5. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as God's knowing good and evil. Satan said, God's trying to hold you back. God's not letting you reach your full potential. God's trying to keep you in kindergarten. You're supposed to be on the college level, Eve. And that's the basis for you telling a lie. You think you can get advantage out of it. You think there's something in it for you. In effect, you're saying, God is not ordering my life in such a way that I can trust Him. God's not been good enough to me. I've got to finagle my way out of it. And so in a split second, you decide that you want to be as God's, knowing good and evil. Lying puts you in a dangerous spot. On the afternoon of August the 2nd, 1997... A man named James Aleph, a 20, a 39-year-old unemployed construction worker, woke up and found himself in a dangerous spot. He was face down on, on railroads, <laughs> right on the rail, face down right in the middle of two train rails. According to the Chicago Tribune News, police believe this man had been drunken and passed out. He said he was walking his dog and slipped on a rock. I don't know what the true story was, but I know this. When he woke up, he was in a dangerous spot. And he realized quickly that he wasn't alone because passing over his head was a 109-car freight train. He said this from his hospital bed. I got a headache, let me tell you. Every three or four seconds, an axle would come along and crack me upside the head. It's a good thing I wasn't on my back. My face would have been torn off. A dangerous spot to be in for sure. You put yourself in a dangerous position when you employ falsehood. Because lying rocks you to sleep spiritually. He loves your soul winning. I believe that. 
I believe that. He loves it that the offerings are good and that you dress like a Christian. But he loves truth, too. Remember that with the little things in your life. He hates falsehood because he remembers, I believe, how Satan used it to get us in the garden. The truth about lying is that it's not just a harmless thing. It is satanic in origin. Secondly, lying is imprisonment. Look at Genesis chapter 37. Genesis 37. The state I live in, former governors normally get busted for extortion and lying and end up in prison. They get, all of them are crooks, but the ones that get caught get made an example of and they go to prison. Lying makes you a prisoner. I believe that with all my heart. Genesis chapter 37. Scholars say that Joseph was 17 years old in this account. A wonderful type of Christ, hated by his brethren and loved of his father. Look at verses 3 and 4. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. When Joseph pursued his brothers over to Dothan, it provided the brothers a wonderful opportunity to do him harm. They were away from home, they were away from the restraint, and they felt they could do whatever they wanted to do to poor Joseph without restriction. Young people today still like to get away from their Jacobs. They like to get away from their parents, their pastor, so that they can do wrong. They demand freedom, and we adults are alike like this a lot of times. We demand freedom. Yes, get me away from Jacob so I can do what I want. Demanding freedom, we become prisoners. And lying is often a method of choice. The brothers sold him, of course, into slavery. Then they led their father to believe, you know the story, that he had been attacked by a, a vicious animal. Showed the coat with the goat's blood on it. Can you imagine the twinkle in the brothers' eyes when they saw that Jacob believed the lie? And that's the deceptive part about it. It actually worked. You tell a few lies and you say, whoa, that worked. Jacob believed my lie. But what about the guilt that these brothers had? Do you have the same Holy Spirit in your heart that I have when I do wrong and I'm convicted? The guilt that these brothers had, they carried with them for years. If you look at the account, many years after Joseph forgave them, they were still haunted by guilt. Lying makes you a prisoner. It's a terrible tyrant. That guilt will drive you insane. And many it drives to suicide. But Joseph made his way to Egypt. He became the governor of the most commanding civilization on earth. His brothers during a famine unknowingly had to grovel back to him. They had to come back to him. What did Joseph do? He made himself strange to them. And you know what he did? He threw him in prison for three days. They got to see what the pit in Dolphin was like. Christ said in John 8:34, Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committed sin is the servant of sin. Now they were the prisoners. 
The truth about lying is that you're in a prison house of sin. Third, lying doesn't protect your testimony. It doesn't. We think it does, so we exaggerate. We lie. We tell a falsehood. Lie to the government. Lie to the bill collector. Lie to the preacher. Lie to your parents. To protect your testimony, it doesn't work. It does the opposite. Turn to Exodus 32. Exodus chapter 32. Aaron, of course, was the brother of Moses. While Moses was on Mount Sinai communing with God, Aaron was convincing the people to involve themselves in wicked idolatry. He's the first Old Testament prosperity preacher. And you know how you can tell the prosperity preachers? They're always more concerned about gold than godliness. And and so he said, give me the gold. Got the fire. And the Bible says that Aaron himself fashioned it with the graving tool, the golden calf. Chapter 32, verse 1. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we want not what has become of him. And Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, of your sons, and of your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool after he had made it a molten calf. They said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. The golden calf. When Moses calls him on it, what was the first thing that came out of Aaron's mouth? Look at verse 22 with me. 21. And Moses said unto Aaron, What did this people unto thee that thou hast brought so great a sin upon them? And Aaron said, look at his first comment, Let not the anger of my Lord wax hot. Don't get mad at me. Praise God if a church has a preacher that gets mad at sin. Moses had every right in the world to be angry. But notice what Aaron does. Instead of focusing on his sin first, He focuses on Moses' anger. That's a liar. When they're confronted, they turn it around. The accuser becomes the victim. And so instead of dealing with your sin, you lash out at others. How dare you get mad at me, Moses? Don't get mad at me. That's the unrepentant liar. The policeman, many times in Chicago, that makes the arrest is the one attacked. The preacher who preaches against sin is attacked. Notice also that Aaron did everything he could to shift the blame from himself to the people. Verse 22, and Aaron said, let not the anger of my Lord wax hot. Thou knowest the people that they are set on mischief. Listen, Aaron was the brains behind this. Do you see how you got to lie to cover up a lie? That's the way it works. Our society is full of blame shifting. A man burglarizes a home, tries to burglarize a home, falls out of the window and breaks his leg, can sue the owner of the home and win a big settlement. Blame shifting. 
What I see here is that Aaron's trying to look good. That's what lying does. You're trying to make yourself look good. Now listen, Aaron was a leader. He wasn't Moses, but he was a leader. He was in full-time Christian service. And we see him being led instead of being the one doing the leading. I noticed that about liars. And you find out somebody's just been lying, you'll see that they're led of everybody else but God. Led of their wife, led of this one, led of that one, not being a leader. He says in verse 24, and there came out this calf. You get more and more stupid. Look how ridiculous that is. The calf just walked out. That's how you sound to someone that's even half discerning when you tell a lie. Ridiculous. Stupid. That lie didn't protect his testimony. It hurt it. Martin Luther, the reformer, said a lie is like a snowball. The longer it's rolled on the ground, the larger it becomes. Lying won't protect your testimony. You say, what will? Right living. It does all the work for you. You don't have to prop yourself up spiritually. You don't have to doctor up your testimony with falsehood. You won't need the crutches of deception when you just do right. It'll take care of your testimony. You don't have to have a, a life of forgery when you live right. You can't trust a liar. They prove themselves a person that's unable to be trusted. You find out that you might have known the person for 10, 15 years, and you don't even know who they are. Lying. This sin is in our churches. You erase people's confidence in you little by little. Until they have no confidence in you at all. That's hard to handle. The truth about lying is that it doesn't protect your testimony. And then last, lying steals your Christ-likeness. Turn to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26. Oh, if Peter were here tonight, he would have said, I'm ashamed at what I did when I denied the Lord. This apostle of Christ denied the Lord three times. If you look at the Gospels and harmonize them, you'll see that he denied being with Christ. He denied being a disciple of Christ. He denied knowing Christ. And last, again, it gets stupid at the end, he, he denied even knowing what they were accusing of him of. He said, neither understand I what thou sayest. See the progression? Look at Matthew 26, verse number 69. Now Peter sat without in the palace, and the damsel came unto him, saying, Thou wast also with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied before them all, saying, I know not what thou sayest. And when he was gone out into the porch, another maid saw him and said unto them that were there, This fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. And after a while came unto him they that stood by, and said unto Peter, Surely thou also art one of them, for thy speech berayeth thee. Then began he to curse and to swear, saying, I know not the man. And immediately the cock crew. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus, which said unto him before the cock crow, Thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out and wept bitterly. He feared the Jews more than Jesus, and he lied out of convenience. He was a disciple. What did God want the disciples to do? Defend the truth. 
Oh, not with the sword. Peter whipped out the sword and cut off the servant of the high priest's ear. No, no. Defend the truth by being full of the Holy Spirit and preaching the word. Defend the truth. That's what God wanted Peter to do. Jesus is called the way, the truth, and the life. If Jesus is the truth, how can he be defended by a liar? How can you and I call ourselves defenders of the faith? When we play with falsehood, Peter fell because a liar can't rightly defend the truth. Christ predicted this denial. If you remember, he said, you're going to deny me three times. Peter said, no, 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 I'm not going to do it. He had to eat those words later on in shame and disgrace. He was one of the best disciples. Peter looked like a good Christian. He spoke like a Christian. That's why he was saying, people were saying, you were with them. You're one of them. He looked the part. He talked the part like you and I, but he wasn't walking the part. A liar will begin to contradict everything they are. And then we look at Peter in the scriptures at this point, and he almost looks like a heathen. A heathen. You turn your back on Christ with falsehood. I don't think that that, that hits home like it should. What's Peter known for? Do you remember the great confession? Peter, who do men say I am? Some say that, that, that you're this prophet or that prophet. But who do you say I am? Peter said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now this same Peter says, I don't know this man of whom you speak. Look at the difference. That's what your falsehood does. You're an embarrassment to the Son of God. Here's how bad Charles Spurgeon thought it was. Lying. He said, I have seen almost all sorts of people converted. Great blasphemers, pleasure seekers, thieves, drunkards, unchaste persons, and hardened reprobates. But rarely have I seen a man converted who has been a thorough paced liar. The heart which is crammed with craft and treachery seems as if it has passed out of the reach of grace. Now, I've seen some creative liars get saved, but I think the point Spurge is trying to make is that when they're a big liar, they're covering up all the other sins, and you can't deal with them and lead them to Christ. Peter was a believer for sure, but in this passage, he looks like a heathen. And so will you when you lie. He remembered what his Lord had told him. And it really convicted him. And the Bible says he went out and wept bitterly. And praise God, he got right. Hope you get right. A man whose parents owned a grocery store recounted the the business of his parents the big white scales that the people would weigh the meat on. He thought about his mom and her cotton dress with the, with the starched apron on. When it was time for him to take over the family business, he was given advice by the competitors in town that never outdid his parents' store. I don't know why they were offering advice, but their advice was this. Just keep the customers talking and put your finger on the scale and weigh it down a little bit more for free money. He said, I can't do it. I can't do it. Peter got right later, but only because he was broken and he wanted to get right with God. What did it take to break his heart? It took the the, the bird making that noise. Whatever it sounded like. Listen, it took the bird. And it took the stare from the Savior. What's it going to take to wake you up? That bird's still screaming. God's word is preached. The despair of the Savior every time a sermon is preached, oh, the bird's still crowing. 
The Savior's still staring. But many today won't wake up regardless of who confronts them. No one has to rob your Christianity from gunpoint. You just hand it over by falsehood. The truth about lying is that it steals your Christ-likeness. I'm done. But if you gratify this urge to be a liar, you're going to be a dismal failure. There'll be times when no one else may know but you and God. And it it comes in all forms, doesn't it? Lying. Exaggerating to make your story sound better. Withholding truth that you know you should give. Say, how do I get victory? Determine in your heart that you're going to tell the truth. I remember when that time came in my life. I don't remember exactly when, the date. But as a bus kid, growing up in the city, I mean, I got away with lying. Nobody was there to spank me for lying. I got away with it all the time. And I remember when God got a hold of my heart long I'm sad to say after I surrendered to preach and to come here to college when God got a hold of my heart about falsehood. And I said, that's it. Now, that doesn't mean you're perfect after that, but something happened. And I wanted to be truthful. I wanted to be right with God. Determine in your heart that you're going to tell the truth. Get filled with the Spirit. Second thing, that's a command, by the way. Ephesians 5.18 says, And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. If you and I don't walk in the Spirit, it's our fault, not God's. If I said, come over to the house, my wife is going to make fried chicken and mashed potatoes with that brown gravy all over, and the big hot buttermilk biscuits, corn on the cob from the grill, Say, stop preaching. I'm hungry, so we can go home and eat. And then for dessert, peach cobbler. And you come into my house and I say, be filled! And you walk out hungry. Whose fault is it? Your fault. You don't have the help of the Holy Spirit to help you conquer falsehood. It's your fault. Lying goes against your conscience. The Holy Spirit speaks. If we can't be sensitive to the Holy Spirit now in relative freedom... What would we have done in the Colosseum? Let's pray. Father, I ask that you'd bless the invitation. Lord, maybe there's some parents that are letting this slip with their kids. I don't know. I don't know how you dealt with hearts, but I believe this is the message you wanted me to preach tonight. Lord, I pray that we take truth more seriously. Use the invitation, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.